The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. It is time for Break the Business, where we empower indie creators and have some fun along the way. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. It really is a pleasure. I am in a fabulous mood this week because let me tell you, this little Break the Business community, this humble little community that we got going, it's growing, man. It is growing because, not because of anything I did, because I'm so lazy when it comes to promotion. We're not paying for ads. This is all word of mouth, folks. This is you guys making this community happen. And I can tell you, the numbers are growing. And most importantly, the communication's growing. My email inbox, breakthebusiness at gmail.com, by the way, absolutely flooded more and more people every week asking questions for us to answer on the show just giving general comments just getting conversations going and let me tell you i answer every single one even at the expense of like my own personal time if you take the time to reach out of course i want to reach out back to you because i love the community we're having and i am i being overwhelmed by the emails absolutely but do i want you to keep them coming you better believe it And let's bring on one person that I'm particularly thrilled to have in our little Break the Business community. That is our co-host this week, Ms. Katie Zaccardi. Hey, Katie. Hello. I'm going to email you every day, Ryan. That's all I ask. (laughs) It's all I ask. We love the, the chatter. We love the conversation about empowering indie creators. I know it's a conversation you love having. Yep. as much as I do. So uh, absolutely love to talk to you on this podcast or off it. I've been told, Katie... That you have that you know right now. Um, I'm I can say that you look remarkably poised. You look like you're ready to do a show. But you told me before the show that you have every reason to not be poised and ready because at any moment you could be faced with a natural disaster. Am I being accurate on this point? Hopefully not. But yes, I am. I am under a tornado watch, which does not mean that I am in the path of a tornado. I'm from New York. I just moved to Nashville. So this is like my first experiences of having to deal with tornadoes. And I don't know what to do, but we are, I keep checking like Nash severe weather. So if you see me like glancing at my phone or if I just disappear, it's because I have to take cover so far. So good though. I don't think it's going to happen. We've just got some like crazy thunderstorms happening right here. So, uh, but we're hanging in. <laughs> see, now you got me worried. <laughs> No, it's okay. You don't like, have to be you're worried. doing this program. You're helping give information to any creators. And at any moment, like, we could get see you just, like, get completely swept up in an F5. No, and, no, no, like, no. If like, the I'm, sirens start going, then I'll, I will go into the stairwell. But, like, otherwise, I think it's fine. And I don't think it's coming this direction anyway. It's just wind. So we're we're good to go. Don't worry. So if if you do get if it does get to that point, like you are gonna take the webcam and the mic with you, right? Like we're gonna oh, get yeah, to yeah, like see sure. this in the real time. Like we'll we're turn this whole full, thing into a storm chasing podcast. Full reporter, full reporter. I'll take you into the hall. There's a lot of musicians <laughs> in my building, so maybe we'll get a performance out of them if, <laughs> if this people is, aren't traumatized. 
This episode's going to do numbers, man. I love it. Our guest this week, excited to have her on in the next segment, Sarah Elizabeth Haynes. She is an indie singer-songwriter with great music, and that's enough of a reason to like her. But for the little cherry on top uh, that I know is going to make people want to stick around, she is the violinist and viola player for the touring company of Hamilton. Easily, like, my favorite musical ever, so... It's going to take every ounce of energy I have, Katie, to not just go complete Hamilton nerd on that interview and actually ask her questions about moving your career forward. Are you are you a Hamilton fan as well? I am. I am. And I, I took a little while to get on the bandwagon because I didn't want to listen to the soundtrack until I saw it on Broadway, which is totally a New York privilege because I have I had that access living in New York. But as soon as I listened to it, I was so... And I feel like I know every word to that soundtrack <laughs> to this day. Well, what I love about that soundtrack is I was with you too. I was like, no, I don't, I don't want to get spoiled by the soundtrack. I want to yeah. experience it for the first time. And then I looked up how much ticket tickets cost yeah. on Broadway. Yeah. And I was like, let yeah. me, let me just get but that on the streaming service. Listen, yeah. The soundtrack sounds really good right now. Right. Like, seems and like what's nice about the Hamilton soundtrack is like, 99% of the show is embodied in the soundtrack. There is very, unlike other musicals where there's song, dialogue, song, dialogue, Hamilton's almost an opera. Almost every yes. square inch of that musical is music. And so you can listen to the soundtrack and basically get the show. Which are my favorite types of musicals. Les Mis is like my other type of musical. And I love, I honestly love when it's just all music. Like it just keeps rolling along and Hamilton does it so well. Yes, it, it's a, a truly remarkable show and must be an interesting challenge for a musician to confront because there's so many genres in one uh, in this particular show, right? It's not like it's all the same kind of music. You get hip hop, you're going to get like Beatles pop when, you know, King yeah. George comes out, you get, uh, you know, typical pop, you get rock. And so I would imagine that a violinist has got to be pretty dang versatile to handle that particular program. So I'm excited yeah. to hear about her experience with that. Me too. Me too. I'm really excited. Yeah. All right. So we got that coming up and she's got, and she's got a new album coming out by the way, when she's not uh, making our hearts sing with, uh, by playing Hamilton every night, she is also a terrific indie musician in her own right. She's got a new album out called Castaway. It's really delightful. We're going to talk to her all about that. Get some great advice from her along the way. But first, I uh, want to talk a little bit of music news with you, Katie, and just some general entertainment news. Last time we had you on, we had a pretty delightful discussion, and you had some pretty impassioned feelings about <laughs> Spotify's discovery mode, which, uh, you know, yes. this, uh, this feature that Spotify is rolling out where they are basically allowing musicians who upload their music to the platform to get a little bit of a boost on the Spotify algorithm to put their music in more people's ears in exchange for taking a cut of Spotify's already microscopically low royalty rate. And you had some, you had some thoughts and feelings about this. I remember. Yeah. I, yeah, I just, <laughs> I just don't, I, from a business perspective, I just don't understand the strategy of, uh, making money and paying people. Like, I just feel like musicians aren't getting paid what they need to get paid. So I'm wondering what's the business model here to support them. And um, I'm skeptical. Well, that skepticism is shared very much by this other uh, microphone here. I'm with you on that. And we are not alone because joining us in that skepticism are members of the U.S. House of Representatives. Since 
Uh, you and I spoke about this. Uh, members of Congress, this is according to Variety, members of Congress, Yvette Clark, Judy Chu, and Tony Cardenas wrote a letter to Spotify CEO Daniel Eck pointing out the concerns that they had with Discovery Mode. So there are an increasing number of lawmakers that just don't think that this feature smells right. And what they were concerned about, because last last time we were talking about this, Sarah, about a month ago, our concerns were in the realm of this just seems like a way for artists to make less money and Spotify to make more money. And if all of the artists are just kind of doing this, then it's just a race to the bottom. And, you know, if everybody's getting the same boost and there's not really a boost and just Spotify's paying people less. But what these lawmakers brought up, which I think is an interesting perspective, is they had concerns about the transparency mm. of all of this from two perspectives. One, they talked about how if this feature is going to be fair, Spotify should publish for musicians all of the tracks that are enrolled in discovery mode and uh, what the exact discount that they're getting so that musicians can make an actual informed decision. So you can say to yourself, okay, should I do this? Well, all my competitors in my genre are doing this, so I should do this too uh, to be able to compete against them. Otherwise, you're kind of flying blind. It's a, you know what they call in the uh, letter that they wrote a prisoner's dilemma. But it's not just about the transparency for the creators. The real concern that the members of Congress had, and I didn't even think of this, but I guess that's why they make the big bucks over the half in the U.S. <laughs> House, is they were concerned about consumer transparency. So... Think of it this way. You're listening to Spotify, right? And when you're getting songs picked for you by Spotify, you're assuming that you're getting this song picked for you because it has examined all your tastes in music. It's listened to everything else that you've listened to. And it's saying that based on everything you've listened to and everything that we know about you, because we're like harvesting all your data, we know that this next song we're going to play is exactly what you want to hear. But with discovery mode, now you as a consumer should be asking yourself, am I getting this track because it is absolutely the track I should be listening to? Or am I getting this track because it's being algorithmically boosted? Is there another track I'd be hearing right now but for that boosting? And so that's something that the um, legislators are concerned about because that's a transparency issue. Because if you are getting tracks uh, sent to you because um, you know it's been boosted, that sounds a lot like an ad, right? Like when you're yeah. on TikTok, right? When a when one of your favorite influencers on TikTok is basically taking one of their videos and is hawking a product, they have to say that's an ad. That's a law. Yeah. And so this is kind of the same thing. Like you're not getting this content because it's actually the content you should be listening to. You're getting it because it's basically been paid for you to listen to. And so that's the kind of thing where they're, you know, the members of Congress are like, that sounds like it'd be legally questionable. We have laws that say if you're going to advertise to consumers that people are essentially getting paid programming, you have to tell consumers that they're getting paid programming. Uh, Mary Amber uh, writing in the comments there, everyone will do it. There will be no boost. Yeah, th that's is that not what Spotify is really trying to do here? They they yeah. know that everyone will do it. And so they'll get, you know, everybody will get the same uh, push they were getting before, and they're just going to get paid slightly less. And, you know, that gets back to what the legislators were saying about transparency. And then, and then the consumer is, like, listening to a worse playlist because it's yeah. not the algorithm. It's just basically all songs that were boosted. Oh, man. Yeah. And that would that would create a far less enjoyable experience for me. So this is like yeah. a lose-lose the artists lose in this transaction. I bought my mic just now. The 
the consumers lose in this transaction. And the only one who wins is Spotify because they're the ones who know all of the information about who's being boosted and how much of a discount they're paying because of that boosting. And they're not sharing it with anybody. And uh, it's an increasing number of our legislators are not loving that particular outcome. I don't blame them. And I hope that this gets squashed to be honest, or that they find like a different way to make this make more sense. But I will say this, that Spotify keeps me mad except for the fact that its algorithm is the best out of all the music streaming platforms. So it's so frustrating that I want to stop supporting them, except I, like, can't. <laughs> well, that's what's, to me, because you talked earlier about this being bad business for Spotify and because it might make consumers upset, and I think that's the reason yeah. why. When yeah. I think of a platform like Spotify, what makes it so good? It's algorithm. When I think of TikTok, what makes TikTok so good? It's algorithm. The fact that it, it knows so much about your listening habits and it can give you the exact video that you want to see. You start messing with that experience. Yeah. You start giving people content where they're not sure, am I getting this content because it's the right thing for me or because you're trying to boost something and effectively give me like a commercial as yeah. opposed to the art that I want to enjoy, that's when you could really start to lose consumers. They got to be careful about this. And I think that they already are on the not so great sides of a lot of people because of how badly they pay because of them favoring like podcasters over musicians and things like that, that if they start to make tweaks like this, that will make the user experience worse. It's just going to give people that impetus that they need to actually leave. So I would be treading very carefully if I were Spotify. Unfortunately, they are this huge company that they'll probably figure it out or survive it or whatever it is. But yeah, I definitely think it's something we need to keep talking about and be diligent about because it's like, you know, how, how long is this going to go on until somebody actually says like, you can't do this anymore. You can't keep screwing. Am I allowed to say that? Sure. Yeah. I don't know what's allowed. Um, you can't keep messing with musicians and then and and just expecting it to be okay. Well, it's, it's something that okay. I, it's something that I teach to my business ethics students is the idea that you don't like it's not generally a good business practice to let what is legal and what is not legal determine what you do. Like if 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 law is the floor you want to be above that floor and, you know, obviously a, because it's the right thing to do, blah, 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 morality. But the other reason why you do it is if you don't regulate yourself, if you don't police yourself, the government's going to do it for you and you're not going to like the way they do it. So, you know, like, who do you want regulating you, your own company, the people who actually know your platform or, and are experts or a bunch of like old boomer Congress members who don't know how your algorithm works and they're going to start messing with it on your behalf because you yeah. made them angry. Like you always like as a tech company or as any business, like do the right thing or else a bunch of old boomers who don't understand technology are going to do it for you and you're not going to like the way they do it. Excellent point. Excellent point. <laughs> and they I, I should be to say to that. And they should be listening to your insight, Katie. Like, look, they might be big and you might be small, but you got the insight. And I think the the clearest example of that bearing out lately is I, I heard that you have a, a new quiz that you came out with to, to share this insight with the creators. Can you tell us a little bit about this? 
Oh, I do. Wow, what a segue. <laughs> um, I had that yeah, one written I, down. Yeah, I was ready for I, that. I just launched a quiz this week, or last week, actually, a week a week ago today. And it is called the Artist Grand DNA Quiz. And it's for musicians to figure out their, well, their artist brand. And there's six archetypes that you can be. It started from a theory that I had uh, that stems from the idea that, like, we're in the age of the personal brand right now. So it's not just about, like, your genre. It's not about your colors. In order to grow and connect with people online, you've got to have a personal brand, meaning you've got to take you and box it up into a brand package, for lack of a better word. And so this quiz is going to help you figure out which archetype uh, you are, which is sort of like that overall theme and mission that you have as a brand. And then you can kind of specify within that. Oh, I dig this. And you're you're so right about that, that it's it's the 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 entertainment industry that we're in is less about the stuff that you make and more about who you are the 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 who you are the the brand is just as important to the fans as the stuff that you create so like it's a so i mean you know it's it's a quiz that you take to figure like what are some of the archetypes so there's six of them so we've got the romantic the inspiration the advocate uh, the entertainer, the observer, and the party animal. So I can go into them too if you want, like to, the the scoop on each. But I definitely the- like to know the party animal. So the party animal. Like we all want to know the party animal. I can tell. <laughs> yeah, and and I'll say as well that this basically takes into account during the quiz and just like in the creation of this in general, it takes into account several things. It takes into account the actual music that musicians write. Again, not necessarily about the genre or not about the genre at all, but the content of it, like the types of songs, the lyrical content, the impetus and inspiration behind it. And it also takes into consideration who they are as a person. Like, who are you as a person? What are you passionate about? What do you like to talk about um, online and in person and beyond? So the party animal archetype is basically people whose goal is to really have fun. On their platform, they basically encourage people to like let loose, live their lives a little, like experience new things, enjoy being young, those kinds of things. Um, And their like top three qualities are basically fun, curiosity, and sociability. So if you're an artist and you really value or embody those three things, this might be you. Some examples that I love to give are like Kesha, especially like 2009 era Kesha, where she was just like full party. Um, Miley Cyrus, Katy Perry. um, Ryan Carella, you know. Yeah, Ryan Carella, how can I forget? Bruno Mars, like, um, those are some mainstream examples that I think are party animals. And so once a creator ascertains their archetype, is the idea that there's some actionable steps that you should take now that you kind of know what box you fit in? Yeah, well, it kind of helps to answer that question. It does help to answer that question, like, what do I post? Or how do I connect with people? I know on TikTok and a lot of people, a lot of coaches will be like, you have to provide value. But then there's this big question of how do I provide value? Like what even is value? Well, value is really just, I actually like to refer more to the word provide. Like you, what are you providing and how are you connecting with people? So this archetype will help you hone in on that. If you're the party animal, you're going to be probably showcasing a lot of the fun things that you're doing and connecting with your audience around doing these things and having these experiences. If you're the entertainer, you probably are either very theatrical or very funny and you're, you're entertaining. Now, do all musicians entertain? Yes. But are all musicians like doing skits or like, again, like embodying these sort of 
qualities. No, that's going to be specific to the entertainer. Whereas the inspiration, they're probably going to be people who get up there and like, they've got like their motivational, you know, uh, videos that they can do or stories to share with lessons. And they're really out there to inspire people. And that's how they're connecting with other people. So helps you identify how you want to connect with people, your mission, and then you can go and create content from that. I dig this. Where can people find this? This is on your personal website. Yep. KatieZaccardi.com slash quiz. I like Lauren. If you are listening there, producer Lauren, I mean, I know you're trying to do a thousand things right now, including getting <laughs> Sarah Elizabeth Haynes ready to come on the air after the break. She'll be here in just a minute. Can, can Lauren, can you take this quiz now? Like, can we know your, your archetype <laughs> by the end of this show? Yes. Um, do it. Cause like, yeah, I mean, I, I have to know, I'm guessing it's uh, you know, maybe she's a party animal. Not sure. Wouldn't have, wouldn't have this. Yeah. She's, she's shaking her head. Um, do you have a guess? What do you think Lauren is? Like you've worked with her on a few of these episodes now. What archetype does she give you the vibe of? She's probably an entertainer. Yeah. I think she's probably an entertainer. Well, but I'm curious to see what she gets. <laughs> you know, can you go to katiezacardi.com, Lauren? Let us know by the well, let us know by the end of the show what you come up with. And that's what we call in the radio business a teaser. Now people are going to hang on for the rest of the <laughs> broadcast and find out what our producer's uh, uh, brand type is. All right. <laughs> Uh, we got, uh, we're going to have Sarah uh, Haynes coming up, but before we do that, uh, wanted to talk to you about podcasting. I think that's one area of indie creation that we don't give enough love to on this program. And that's criminal because obviously like this is what we do and it's what more and more creators are doing, including musicians. Like I see a lot of them kind of starting their own podcast and it's a welcome development. And I would say of all the podcast genres out there, Katie, the one that I think is sucking the most people in are probably these true crime podcasts. They yeah. Hulu had a show out uh, with uh, Martin Short and Selena Gomez called Only Mur and Steve Martin called Only Murders in the Building. I still need that to watch that. You should. There it you is great. And it's all about like people's like almost unhealthy obsessions with these true crime podcasts. <laughs> and it's delightful. But, you know, people can't you know consume these things fast enough. And so for true and, and and by the way, it is a great area for indie creators to get into because, you know, making these true crime podcasts is not a lot of uh, there's not a lot of startup costs behind it. You don't need to you don't need a lot of equipment. What you need is a really good story. You need a you need a true crime to use as your source material and build a podcast around. But as this as more and more of these true crime podcasts are emerging we're seeing this uh, troubling trend where a lot of uh, reporters and researchers who spend a lot of time researching these true crime cases, writing exhaustive articles about them to basically bring these things into the world, they're now accusing podcasters of basically plagiarizing the articles that they researched and turning them into true crime podcasts. So the latest example of this on April 11th, author and journalist Brendan Kerner took to Twitter, accusing the true crime podcast series Soldier of Misfortune of ripping off a news story that this person wrote, uh, that uh, Kerner wrote for The Atlantic. Through the podcast, produced by filmmaker Jesse Rappaport, it's about the real-life story of career fraudster Bobby Joe Cassie, and Kerner claims in his tweets that the program borrows heavily from his article without attribution. This is quoted from the tweet here. The creator pretended like she'd done tons of painstaking research when in fact she just used my book as a quasi screenplay. She even read whole passages verbatim. 
the end result was a podcast that's essentially an ad-sponsored rival to my audiobook. And practices like these are becoming more and more common in podcasting, especially because these, again, these true crime podcasts are becoming wildly popular. And in a lot of ways, the podcasting medium, while popular, super unregulated right now. You know, a lot of these independent podcasts, there's no editorial, you know, there's no editor, there's no legal department that you got to run your podcast by. And so a lot of this stuff slips through the cracks and it's a, it's a big problem right now. Cause if you're talking to the podcasters about this, they're going to say, what am I doing wrong? You don't get to own a copyright to a real live story. I'm just telling the story and yeah. your source material is one of the sources I'm consulting. Yes, and, yeah. and the reporters are saying, I spent months, years researching this story and you're not just retelling my story in your own words. You are borrowing heavily from portions of it that I wrote. And it's creating this uh, really nasty tension right now. And we're going to see more and more of this as the demand for these true crime podcasts continue to grow because again, we can't get enough of these things. Yeah. That sounds complicated. Cause I was thinking the same thing as you were talking about it, where it's like, well, she just, you know, the podcaster just used that article in the research. <laughs> like yeah. She did all this research. Well, part of the research was just reading that article. That is really tough. And honestly, I mean, I don't know what the answer is and not from a legal perspective, but it does definitely make me want to suggest that it would be a smart business move for people who are writing articles like that to go into a partnership actively with someone to create a podcast or do it themselves just to kind of like, you know, nip it in the bud and not have to deal with someone else doing it. Like if you're going to do this, either make a podcast because duh or get someone else and partner with someone else to be like hey i'll give you this or i'll sell you this if you make a podcast out of it or whatever that's that's really clever katie yeah so if you've if you have the goods on this like true crime story of the century you know by all means put your article out in the atlantic but already start working behind the scenes like go talk to gimlet media or one of these you know big podcasting networks and already start the process of creating that yeah. true crime podcast so that somebody else doesn't beat you to it. I like that. Very clever. Yeah. I mean, I, obviously, maybe not everyone wants to do that, but it's like, we know the popularity. Why not just take advantage and create your own additional business opportunity instead of getting, you know, kind of undermined by it? But I don't know. I do feel bad because that does yeah. stink that they were stealing all of that material. And I don't know what the answer is, but dang. Well, I'm not presently aware of a court case yet, or certainly not one that's like been like risen to the level where it's in our collective public consciousness of like a true crime podcast being sued for copyright infringement by some article writer. And so like, there's not a, you know, and it's, it'd be interesting to see like what fair use might dictate on something like this, because generally fair use gives a lot of, uh, leeway to when you know when you're basically doing news reporting like when you're taking when you're helping like cr- communicate a news story out there but at the same time fair use is less accommodating when you're creating something that's entertainment as right. opposed to like a news story so what is a true crime podcast is it news reporting is it entertainment who knows but if if i had a true crime podcaster kind of come to me and say like i'm thinking of doing this What's the way to do it where I don't, uh, where, where like my homage doesn't find its way into plagiarism land or God forbid copyright infringement land. What I'm saying to this person, at least generally is 
treat this like you would if you were writing a book report or a high school essay. Yeah. Cite your sources, attribute. If you're going to quote from something, make it clear that you're quoting and keep your quotations light and be sure to integrate your own analysis along the way. If you feel like much as if you were writing a high school book report, if you have quoted like 30 lines <laughs> from somebody else's material, yeah. you're uh, you're closer to being in like copyright questionable land than something that is a unique uh, piece of art, an original piece of art to you. And by the way, it's it's just the right thing to do. And you know, you know, putting the legal issues aside, yeah, like we need to support each other as creators. If you are just ripping off somebody else's hard work, you're gonna get you know nailed on Twitter. <laughs> There's yeah. gonna be people who aren't happy that you did that. Like part of it almost sounds like the guy, the original writer, is just kind of upset that he wasn't credited, that like he wasn't acknowledged for his work and. A simple crediting, even if she did read a whole paragraph or a whole page or whatever it is, by saying, like, this is from this article, it could potentially have just solved the problem. You I can't I mean? tell you how many legal disputes, how many expensive legal disputes <laughs> could have been averted had somebody just did something like that on the front end. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, you know, but but people who don't do those things on the front end are the reason why some lawyers have very expensive houses. Um, we're going to take a quick break and bring on Sarah Elizabeth Haynes to talk all about her work as an indie creator. And we're going to get some Hamilton talk in there too, because obviously don't go anywhere. Keep listening to break the business. We'll be right back. Ryan Corella here. I hope you're enjoying the show and I hope that you're getting a lot out of it. I do what I do because I care about creators like you a lot. I've dedicated my career to helping creative professionals, entrepreneurs, and organizations move forward. I do it by hosting this program, and I'm also proud to do it in my legal practice. If you're a creative professional looking for solutions-oriented legal services to help you further your goals, I'd love to help. My firm, RKPA, does contracts, commercial law, copyright, trademark, and more. Visit rkpalaw.com to learn more. That's rkpalaw.com. Ryan A. Corella, PA, Miami, Florida. Streaming services for Break the Business provided by L.E.K. Entertainment. L.E.K. Entertainment is a full-service entertainment company offering everything from consultations to full-scale events and productions, including audio and video productions, voiceovers, staged theatrical productions, script and music development, and streaming services. For more information, visit lekentertainment.com. L.E.K. Entertainment wants to help you bring your story to life. Thanks for supporting Break the Business. If you have a question or topic that you want us to discuss, email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can follow the host, that's me, on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R, and you can follow the show at The BTB Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook, and on all major podcast platforms. And now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Break the Business, everybody. Happy to have you on all the various places that you might be consuming this particular program, whether it is Facebook Live, Twitter Live, Twitch, YouTube Live, if it's on Sirius XM 145 Ghost Slam Radio, or if it's on any of the various podcasting platforms that are out there. If you are catching us in between the two true crime prod- uh, podcasts that you're checking out, <laughs> 
we're happy to have you however you're consuming us. Let's bring out our guest this week. She is a New York-based indie singer-songwriter and violinist who is currently playing violin and viola in the national tour of Hamilton. Yay! She also released her second album, Castaway, earlier this year, and you can find out more about her work by visiting www.sehaines.com. We are thrilled to welcome Sarah Elizabeth Haynes on to Break the Business. Hello, Sarah. Hi there. How are you guys? Doing so, so great. Happy to have you here. I don't know if we made this abundantly clear in the first segment, but we are all absolutely nuts for Hamilton. And I do (laughs) want to talk to you a lot about the music you make when you're not making Hamilton, because it's pretty terrific, too. But uh, have to ask this Hamilton question out the gate. We were actually debating this, uh, Katie and producer Lauren and I. Mm -hmm. We were, and and you're going to settle this for us, all right? We were debating what is the coolest and most fun song to play on violin of all the Hamilton songs? Now, before you tell us, before you tell us, I'll give you a chance to think about it. I want to go around our collective room here, and we're each going to make a guess. Now, I'm going to preface my guess by saying I am 100% positive that I know the correct answer. Okay. All right? I have... There are a few things in this world that I've been more sure of, that I know what Sarah Elizabeth Haynes is going to say is the coolest violin song on Hamilton, and the answer is Yorktown, and I don't think it's close. But Katie, what do you think the best violin song is on Hamilton? I was gonna say the Reynolds pamphlet. Oh, oh I didn't think of that one. I, I feel know. less certain now. Producer Lauren, pop in here for a favorite. second. Ooh, Reynolds. Oh, I didn't think of the Reynolds pamphlet. Oh, that's yes. no. I still feel good. I still feel confident. <laughs> You can't back me off. Yorktown, uh, when Hercules Mulligan comes out, with the <laughs> yeah, it's it's fabulous. All right, producer Lauren, what do you think the best violin slash viola song in Hamilton is? The one that Sarah Elizabeth Haynes loves to play the most? No, I already said I, I have no pick on this one. I I've been told that it's a, an absolute marathon, and you basically just have to get your way through the show and then go, "Whoo, I made it." Uh, so now uh, I'm, af- I'm afraid that you've given that answer because now I feel like you're going to poison this. And now Sarah is going to say, oh, yeah, yeah every single song is the hardest one. No, no, no. I'm going to pin you, you didn't down ask here. Hard. You didn't ask hard. You yeah, said most yeah. fun. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And like, no. And, and Sarah, like, we love you and we're glad you're here. But like, if you give us the every single song is equally awesome on violin, yeah. I'm going to walk out of this studio. All right. We, no, we yeah. got to know. Best violin song on Hamilton. Who's right? So I will say it does. It does change kind of depending on the day and how I'm feeling. I play the show eight times a week. I've played Hamilton 975 times. Uh, wow. So, <laughs> so, so none of them are fun anymore. You just know them like the back of your hand. <laughs> um, so I will usually, like when I'm asked this question, I the first thing that comes to mind is Yorktown. That's, yes! Dang it! That's what I'm talking about! There you go. Hercules Mulligan! Yeah. Well done, All right. Well done. All right that's... You know, we have the dance break and the strings really get to be like part of the rhythm like we're part of the band in the whole show um i will say personally i have like a a soft spot in my heart for one last time actually um so i I play i play violin and viola in the show but actually i primarily play viola and the beginning of george washington's like address to his people when he's leaving office is is this really beautiful four bar viola solo where it's literally only me playing and it's this ter- it used to be a terrifying moment. It's not as terrifying as it once was, um, but because it's just me and him speaking. 
Well, it's Hamilton speaking his words, but um, and so oh yeah, and also yeah. the the both the George Washington and the understudies for George Washington on my tour are also really good friends. So it's like a you know personal like touching moment. So I have a soft spot for one last time, but Yorktown is definitely the most fun to play consistently. That's good. I was so afraid I was gonna you were gonna talk yourself out of Yorktown and me being right. So <laughs> glad that you stayed firm on that. Yorktown well, slaps on Violet. And Katie, actually, the Reynolds pamphlet is also super fun to play. We just don't play as much in the Reynolds. Yeah, pamphlet. no, that makes sense in in retrospect. Like, but, going oh no, don't you start giving it. don't you start giving honorable mention to all of the co-hosts here? All <laughs> right, make, Ryan won. Ryan, I won this puppy. <laughs> <laughs> See, I just like to sing Reynolds pamphlet, and I yeah. feel like it would just be a good a, a good time to just oh, be in. <laughs> we have full choreography for that part in the in the string section, so That's, we have like yeah. we make up we make up for the lack of playing with just dancing. I appreciate <laughs> that, and that sounds the most fun to me. So. <laughs> All right, um, Lauren, you're welcome to stick around, but I know you also have to finish Katie's quiz. Uh, however, you want to divide your time. No, we got it. We we need to know, Lauren, by the end of this, like which brand I is yours. Know. So, did you already, did you do you already, you already took the quiz? I did. All right, well, save. We're gonna we'll save that for the end of the show. Not saying anything. Good. All right. I um, want to take this quiz now too. I'm gonna. Go well, and check it out. Yeah, I want to know what you are too, well, Sarah. You're the one person who has to stay here, Sarah. It is uh, super critical. Um, I mean, I did Once get the answer I wanted out of you, yeah. but we still have to talk about your awesome sure. career as an indie creator. Because one of the things that I, I'm interested in, because we've never had somebody who has to divide their musical life so much between like this full-time job and then some of playing with the touring company, The Hamilton, while also being a creator of indie original music in your own right. Uh, how do you balance the two? How do you find time to write original music when I'm sure like you're spending all your time traveling and playing the viola for Hamilton? Well, that's a great question. Um, I really, you know, I think that there, I need to have both. And I think that one kind of serves the other in a lot of ways. Um, you know, the first time I was a freelancer my whole career up until I started touring. And actually I, I, I started off touring with Les Mis and I did three months on Les Mis, and then I, I moved to Hamilton after that. Um, I only got to play 74 shows of Les Mis. So. My, it's my other favorite show, so I'm, like, geeking out right I'm now. I'm telling you. You're, you're after our own heart here, Sarah. Um, but, but, you know, that's... Best violin so song, One Day More? Oh. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yes! Really. Oh, two for two! <laughs> I'm so good at this useless game. <laughs> How about empty chairs and empty tables? Are there yeah. violins? Nice. Also, um, what's the I one with the dream. drinking drink with me? Oh yeah, that one. That one. That one's nice too. <laughs> that has really beautiful solos all over it. Um, but so yeah, what I was saying is, you know, I found that like once I finally had a chance to only be doing one thing instead of the like nine thousand things that you do as a freelancer, just trying to cobble a living together. Um, I finally had space to think about how I wanted to be a creative person in the world. And cause, cause you know, it's, I love playing musical theater, but when I'm playing somebody else's music, it's still, it's not, you know, there's a limitation as to how far I can have my own voice within that. So it kind of gave me the gift of being like, here's your job. This is what you do. This is what you do every single day, but you also have the rest of the day when you're not playing the show to do whatever you want. So having um, that routine 
and that thing that you had to do made you more creative, it sounds like. Definitely. I mean, I didn't start, I didn't make a record until I was on tour. The first record that I made was after I had already been on tour. And I had been a part, a member of bands in the past and we had made records and I love those records too. But this was the first time that like I, as an individual and as an artist was like, okay, you have no limitations and no parameters except for what you are capable of and where you physically are. So what, what are you going to do with that? And that was definitely, um, I needed to have that, that personal creative practice because there's only, you know, it adds stability to the traveling and the, you know, you're in a different city every few weeks and you're, you know, in different hotels and Airbnbs and you kind of, you need to kind of assert yourself in each of these new places as whoever you want to be. And I think that that, it helped me um, feel more sane in this like transient place. So how much did the creative and production process of your album Castaway line up with your Hamiltonian duties? Like, are you, are you writing on the bus? Are you laying down tracks in like a hotel room and putting up towels to like muffle the sound? I've seen artists do that by the way. <laughs> Well, so Castaway actually, um, most, all of Castaway was recorded during the pandemic. So when we mm -hmm. were not touring, um, however, most of Castaway was written while I, before the pandemic, when I was still on the road. Um, and actually, you know, I was lucky in that on Hamilton, there were a lot of other people who were also writers and songwriters and creative people. And we, I started this group for a little while where we would all get together and like, we would take one day and we'd try to just write as much new stuff as possible. And it was like good, bad, whatever, just like get it out there. And then we get together at the end of the day and share whatever we'd worked on. No judgment, no like really feedback, just kind of like, here's what I did today. And that was, um, I, I think, I, I don't remember exactly how many, but I think like eight of the songs that ended up on Castaway were products of, that those sessions wow. and um because it was just like a very open environment to to share but also it was this gives you this impetus to like be creative with a bit of a deadline which i'm i i work well with deadlines so <laughs> it definitely helps to be like okay today this is what we're gonna do and we're gonna do it in front of other people so you have no choice but to do it what would you say is the biggest lesson that you learned from the process of creating Castaway that like you could impart to other creators out there? Oh, wow. Um, I think Castaway for me was, was really like a, it was very important to make it because it was the first time I felt very confident about like, about stepping into my own voice and being very clear with who I was and who I wanted to be. Um, and I think the pandemic, I mean, talk about, you know, having one job and being able to be creative and then going from that to the pandemic where I really wasn't working and all I had was what I could do um, in within the four walls of my apartment. Um, so it was really, I, th I think the thing that I learned is that this, taking the time and the space and, and having that inner reflection is really hard, but it's so necessary and it's going to garner results that 
you would never have imagined if you didn't take that time and take that space and really like let the quiet moments in to to be self-reflective and to be um maybe even a little bit hard on yourself sometimes but in a in a loving way <laughs> that's a long <laughs> answer to it to- well, and that last piece that you said there is is a tricky balance uh, katie i know you probably counsel a lot of folks in your coaching practice on that exact topic right finding the right balance between holding high expectations for yourself being as you said hard on yourself but still doing it in a loving way so that it doesn't kind of just lead to a dark spiral for you. Like Katie, what do you tell people uh, in, in your coaching practice to like kind of navigate that balance? I'd love to hear what, what Katie has like relative to what Sarah's insight was. Well, I think it's honestly just a different experience for everyone. So like the biggest thing is you have to find out where that line is for yourself because often people will try to look towards other people well, they're doing this or, or they're doing all of these things or they're here in their career. So I should be, and I should be doing this and whatever it is, but you're the only one who can figure out like, what is it? How how does your brain work around setting goals or around critique or around, you know, creating, like, I love the exercise where you're just like putting whatever down and showing it. Like for some people, that's exactly what they need. For some people, it could wreck them. Like, Everyone just responds to things differently. So I think the first thing is really just that self-awareness and acknowledging, like, where do you go when you do these things? Like, does it help you? Does it hurt you? Or what are, and what are the thoughts that are coming up positive or maybe not so positive um, so that we can like start to put practices in that are serving you and that are going to move you forward and not coddle you like a baby, but also not be like throwing you into the sharks and being like oh well get over it (laughs) good luck (laughs) because it's not that's not necessary you know are you hearing a lot of your own experience in that insight sarah yeah absolutely and it's interesting because in a way it's kind of like it like became this kind of meta thing but that's also a little bit about what the song castaway is actually about it's about like getting away from your own like island of self of expectation Mm -hmm. and kind of just being forgiving and being um being open to to exploring and like new experiences and maybe even other people if like some sometimes collaboration is the best way to get out of your own head right it's you know you literally have somebody else giving you ideas that you'd never have so and especially when you're touring with like the best company of singers and musicians and dancers on the planet i mean what a great laboratory to not just uh compare music on to compare art on but just to kind of have that support system around you. That's exciting. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I've also been told, Sarah, that you like to cook. And I, I got to hear some cooking insights from you. I'm going to paint this scenario for you, okay? You've come back from an extended run on one of these tours. You've done like 30 dates, and you're finally back in your kitchen again for the first time in weeks or months. You are for the first time in weeks or months eating eating something that's not out of a box lunch or out of like some greasy spoon somewhere and you're in your own kitchen what is the first thing that you want to cook for yourself that is a really funny question cuz i actually just got back to my apartment <laughs> what did you eat today what did you um, that's right this I, whole there was just a long way of saying what did you have for lunch today well so i um the last time I was home, I made bolognese, like the Marcella has done, like five hour, 
the whole the works with the white wine and the milk and the in and I had frozen it. I had frozen half of it when I made it the last time. So I actually just took that out of the freezer and reheated nice. it. <laughs> nice. Um, but it was, I mean, that's like proper, like slow cook bolognese is just oh. absolutely delicious. Um, and that's what I had for dinner. I roasted some Brussels sprouts and cauliflower to go with that. And I put it over linguine. And um, that was a very, very satisfying uh first meal back in my in my space in my apartment <laughs> oh my god and, and you painted the picture so well for yeah. like i just i'm more i'm like i can practically taste like the bolognese with the brussels sprouts i am a big fan of this so one of the things i've been seeing a lot on twitter uh that is, is just like all over the place now is this idea of like cancelable takes people are like post your most cancelable uh, take about personal finance, your most cancelable movie opinion or something like, like that. Like a new word for hot take, basically. Right, right. So, but like <laughs> but a take that's so hot that you're so convinced it's true, but everybody else is going to be like, oh, come on. So I'm wondering, Sarah, what is your most cancelable food take? Like, what is the one food where you're like, I swear by this as a cooking item, and I know you're all going to cancel me, but I know I'm right. Oh, wow. Um, I was unprepared for this question. <laughs> Unlike the other one where it was just all you had to do was figure out what you had for lunch today <laughs> or dinner. I mean, I, this is, I don't love celery, which uh, as like a, I know that doesn't sound like a big deal, but as like part of the tradition of like mirepoix and like all these different um, bases for different soups and stews and stuff like you always use celery and I'm always just like do I really have to I really but you know <laughs> so I usually I usually reduce any celery ingredient by like at least half if not to a third of what is originally called for because I know the flavor is important but I just don't like it and I don't like having it in the house and I don't know I also don't like watercress and that's <laughs> what about cucumbers tastes- Ooh, I love a good cucumber. I think I aspire to like cucumbers more than I actually do. <laughs> I was sensitive, so I thought I would ask. <laughs> she tells people she likes cucumbers because she wants to be appreciated for it. <laughs> I like the like quick pickling cucumbers, but I think cucumbers on their own kind of taste just like slime. Mm. <laughs> um, m- one of my favorite follows on TikTok right now is this. This guy named B. Dylan Hollis, who his whole thing on TikTok is he makes recipes from like cookbooks like that are 100 years old. And it's like the most like, you know, just completely unhinged, insane recipes. And (laughs) most of them are terrible. And like he just like he'll try it and like immediately spit it out. And every once in a while he hits on something where he's like, I'm going to eat this all the time. This is incredible. And the first uh, one of the first times he did that was when he mixed chocolate and potatoes and made a chocolate potato cake. And on paper, that sounds ridiculous. But damn it, if it wasn't like the most incredible thing he's ever eaten, chocolate potato cake. Are there two ingredients in your cooking experience, Sarah, where you're like, I know it doesn't sound like these things should go together, but I do it and it works. Man, that sounds like chocolate hummus to me, which also doesn't sound good. What? Um, it is uh, good. I've never had chocolate. it. I can't. You, I, I, I just look at hummus, it and I'm like. Have you ever had chocolate covered potato chips? They're really good. 
which is basically well, yeah, the same but then because that's you get like the greasy <laughs> pr- pr- producer <laughs> Lauren with her thumbs up in the green room. Well, I know, I know, producer Lauren loves uh, dipping French fries in the Wendy's Frosty, which is kind of that's the same delicious. thing. It is yeah. the same no, thing. That's honey, I don't do the Frosty <laughs> thing. I dip them in honey. Potatoes oh, and honey. Yes. Interesting. Mm. <laughs> um, Potatoes are the best food ever, I think. Potatoes I will occasionally just... make a dish with like lentils and a can of tomatoes and peanut butter. And Whoa. Interesting. It's it's almost like, like a Thai peanut sauce. It turns into kind of like a Thai peanut sauce-ish thing. But yeah. like when you think like tomatoes and peanut butter together, you're kind of like, oh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I um, I can see how it could be good though. I know, like I'm 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 reverse engineering because like peanut butter works with a lot of things. Like I think because we all grew up as kids with like peanut butter and jelly, we just associate peanut butter. It has to be sweet things, but peanut butter remarkably versatile. Yeah, it works in a lot of different time zones, and I could (laughs) see it. Um, you know, I, I think I'm adventurous to give that a shot, but uh, chocolate and potatoes, uh, that one would take me more time. So let me, so you've been very accommodating with us on our, on food opinions, but you know, we do want to give people a chance to check out your music again. You can find out more about our guest work by visiting sehaines.com. Uh, can you tell us just a little bit about what people will expect when they check out your album Castaway? Yeah. Um, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a ride. It's, there's like a bit of an emotional roller coaster happening. It, it, it starts off, it hits pretty hard right at the beginning. Um, actually, the first track is a spoken word track, which was inspired by Patti Smith because I listened to horses, like only horses for like two weeks straight in the middle of the pandemic. And then I called my producer and I was like, we're putting a spoken word track on the album. And he's like, okay. And that was basically <laughs> like our conversation about it. And I read him the text and he's like, yeah, no, we're doing this. This sounds great. Um, but and then we went back and forth i was kind of hesitant to put it first off because i wasn't i wasn't sure if it was gonna like scare people away a little bit but then i realized that it was necessary to have that as the first you know feeling to kind of color the rest of the color the rest of the album because it it becomes like this thing that it starts off as this very like hard outlook and it kind of softens into something that becomes much more like loving and forgiving by the end of the record and that's you know if you listen to the whole record from start to finish which I I I usually think of albums that way when I make them but I know that's not necessarily how they're consumed these days um and you know there's it's a lot about just personal autonomy and but also being able to feel many different ways at the same time. Um, I, I've been thinking a lot, I was thinking a lot when I was making this album about how we're so expected to kind of force ourselves into being one thing and being like readily, dige- easily digestible. And that's just so far away from anybody's lived experience. And I wanted to try and capture some of that. Um, it's hard to do it in 40 minutes, but here we are. <laughs> I've I've enjoyed listening to it. Uh, again, you can. We are chatting with Sarah Elizabeth Haynes, indie singer songwriter and violinist and violaist. How do you say that? Viola or violist? Violist. I like that. Makes more sense. And violist for the touring company of Hamilton. 
Uh, find out more about her work by visiting sehaines.com. Sarah, this has been an absolute treat. I really commend you for tolerating our nonsense for the oh. last 30 minutes. Before we let you go, one last question. Do you have any last tips for the indie creators out there to help them move their careers forward? I think just be open to as many varied experiences as possible. That's the thing that has helped me the most is just saying yes and a lot when it when it feels good and when it feels right because you can't say yes to everything um, or else you you just have nowhere to go because you have no energy to grow in any direction. But, um, but that, that's been the thing that's helped me the most. Actually, I'm, I'm starting a podcast. Uh, just, you know, you guys, you were talking about that earlier and it's going to be about, about hobbies, about what people do, um, what, what successful creative people do just for themselves. Cause I think that's something that we don't talk about a lot because we're all, you know, so I appreciated your question about the cooking because I thought, you know, it's a fun, it's fun to talk to people about the things they just really like. I love <laughs> that topic for a podcast. I think you're going to get so many like crazy celebrities who want to do that so. because like celebrities hate talking about if they're a movie star, they hate talking about their movies. But if they're into crocheting, they just want somebody to ask them about crocheting <laughs> so bad. So this this seems like a winner to me, I, Sarah. I so. Yeah, I hope so. We'll see. Yeah. I have well, to start. Let us know how it goes. Please don't be I a stranger. Will. We'd love to have you on again real soon. And thanks so much for joining us this week. Thank you so much for having me. It was really fun talking to you. Sarah Elizabeth Haynes, everybody. All right. We have about two and a half minutes left. And the world Drum needs roll. to know. We've all been waiting. Producer Lauren, get back in here. Let us know how you did on Katie's quiz. Okay. Um, I actually took it multiple times, but the <laughs> first time I, I know this is like when people do the Harry Potter <laughs> quiz and they're like, I didn't get Gryffindor. I'm going to take it again. No. Okay. <laughs> so it wasn't so much that. Oh no. And I mute myself. Okay. Um, it wasn't so much that as it was when I was doing it, there were questions where I was like, ah, it could be one of those. Yeah. yeah you yeah. know? And so at the end, when I got it, I was like, you know, let me go back and see what would have happened if I put the other answer in. So it wasn't so much cheating. Um, <laughs> but the first answer I got, which is what I thought I was going to be, is okay. the inspiration. Oh! And, and I agree with Ryan that, like, at my heart, I'm always an entertainer. Um, but I think that because it's targeted towards musicians and I'm more on the yeah. like actor side of things, you know, I do all, but I don't create my own content. I like to be a blank slate that other people can create on. Um, it's hard to be moldable clay as it were. Uh, and so when I take it from that angle, I'm like, well, I'm not creating stories to make you anything. I'm playing other people's stories, um, which is a different way to approach things entirely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but again, when I went back, I was the advocate, which isn't, in my Ooh. opinion, all that far off. Yeah, 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 yeah. Those and then sense too. just for Ryan, I was like, all right, I'm going to go to my answers that will bring up, of course, the entertainer. So <laughs> that was my Gryffindor right there where I was like, hold on, hold on. And by the way, I'm a Hufflepuff, not a Gryffindor. Uh, I, I, yeah, that tracks. Well, I'm glad that you said that, though, because you can. The quiz is only going to populate one answer, but 
I believe and in version 2.0 of the quiz, we're going to have a sub a main type and a subtype because not everyone will necessarily have two types, but I definitely think that there are a lot of people out there who embody both. Like I even think about Bo Burnham, like he's classic entertainer because he's a comedian, but he also writes a lot about mental health. So then he would be a subtype a advocate. So maybe you are both and you just needed to explore both of those things. Yeah, I think like there were little squares and I wanted to check off a few of them. Anyway, we'll talk about that <laughs> off the air. It's been a thrill finding out what Lauren is and everything she said makes perfect sense there. Uh, I want to know more about what some of our uh, listeners and viewers are. Go to katiezacardi.com, take the quiz, and let us know. Email us at breakthebusiness@gmail.com or tweet at me at Ryan K-A-I-R. Tweet at Katie at Katie Zaccardi, right? Yeah, but don't tweet at me. I'm not on Twitter anymore. DM me on Instagram or DM tag me on her. Instagram. At Katie Zaccardi. <laughs> yes, and let us know how you did on that quiz. Our thanks to Sarah Elizabeth Haynes. Thanks to producer Lauren. Thanks to Katie Zaccardi. And thanks to all of you viewers and listeners for checking us out on Break the Business. Mwah! We'll see you next week.